Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity now to open your word. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to understand the scriptures, that they would be profitable and edifying to us. We recognize, Lord, that what we partake in now, the world counts as foolishness. But it is indeed your power to save, and in that confidence, we hear the word proclaimed to us. Bless us now, O Lord, and open the scriptures to us by your spirit, that we might understand what Christ has accomplished, that we might live as we come to the supper in the joy of this comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I invite you to turn uh, this morning in the scriptures before you to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, I'm sure a familiar passage to you, but an important passage that we will be looking at uh, the temptation of Christ. I'm going to back up a little bit and read at verse 13 of chapter 3 through 4, uh, 11. And a wonderful text, of course, to come to the table of our Lord. Let's give our attention this morning to the reading of God's holy word. This is Matthew chapter 3, found on page 1027. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came. And we're ministering to him. There will end the reading of God's word. Well, as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, I want to think um, a little bit with you about the great struggle against temptation uh, that we as believers face in this life. A very real struggle and something that the scriptures give a lot of attention to. There is, um, when thinking about temptation, there's the temptation... There's a kind of temptation that uh, originates from outside, uh, within us, and th- those are the kind of um, temptations when it comes from within that we follow our desires and um, that lead us into sin. There are also those temptations that come from outside of us, and those are not, those are not sin until we entertain them 
and act upon them and embrace them internally, acting upon desire. It's important to make those kind of distinctions because we sometimes, many times in the Christian life, simply lead ourselves away into temptation, as James says, when we are tempted by various lusts and desires and we follow those. And, and there's a path to that, James says, when temptation, God does not tempt anyone with evil, but when we lead ourselves into temptation, there's a path that people follow. It's a hardening path, and it's a path when sin um, is fully grown, it brings forth death. Well, here we're looking at the temptation that comes from outside of us, and I want to think a little bit about uh, that with you this morning. That temptation is not sin until we take outward temptation and then decide to act upon it and uh, entertain desires. What I'm talking about this morning is the very serious spiritual warfare that we are in. Very serious spiritual warfare. In the Reformed world, I think sometimes we have shied away from talking about this too much or giving too much attention to it because we know uh, in many movements in Christianity, too much attention has been given in an unhealthy way to this, and um, that has not always been helpful to look about it. But, but it's not something we should just be reactionary against. We need to give serious attention to the three sworn enemies that we face, and we talk a lot about ourselves as the, as the great enemy, our own sinful desires. We talk a lot about the world, but we don't talk a lot about Satan. And this is a very important subject to consider the demonic realm that is constantly coming at you. The apostles understood this. Uh, The apostles had no problem saying when they wanted to go certain places, Satan hindered us. Uh, The apostles understood and talked frequently, we're not ignorant of Satan's or the devil's devices. We know exactly what he's doing. We know how he's working on us, and we know that he's very active. He's the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Jesus said something stunning. Of course, we'll look at his great defeat here today of Satan. That's the whole point of this. But he said very stunning, stunningly that he is the ruler of this world. And I'm going to come to cast him down. The scriptures want us to give serious attention to this. The assaults of the evil one, uh, right from the Garden of Eden, it happened that we are in this sinful mess, we are in these problems that we're facing because, as our Heidelberg says, right at the beginning, it all came by the instigation of the devil. Do we think about these things? Do we think how he's working on us? Do we understand that? There's great encouragement for us in this when you understand that the primary battle of life is not against flesh and blood. Have you thought about that? We're not really wrestling against flesh and blood. All that is happening in the world is not really a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this realm. It's all over the place. The Bible's message, of course, is a good one to us. It's be of good cheer, for as Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And that's the sort of disposition that we need to have when we consider this. There is real power given to us, the power of the resurrected Christ, to, as James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, that's why the temptation of Christ is so important to consider. It's an important um, 
section of Scripture to give great attention to, it's not an account of, as is often done, simply giving us a moral example. Uh, It can help that way. It has intention to help that way. But it's really showcasing for us, in Matthew chapter 4, the defeat of Satan in the wilderness. The defeat of Satan. So that we might be encouraged in the fight, to fight this battle that has already been won, and to live confidently that the ruler of this world is indeed judged, he is overcome, and there has already been a victory that has been secured, so that we too now in the Christian life, would take seriously the warfare that we're in, knowing that there is indeed a victory, but giving no place to Satan, no place to the evil one, which is a direct command of Scripture. So I thought I would uh, encourage you today, as we come to the supper, to celebrate what Christ has overcome, but to understand the nature of the temptations that are coming at us, and to join in the victory that has been won. If there's anyone here who's not joined in this victory, um, you're going to see you're in a dangerous ground. And um, it's a serious warfare. And, you know, when you talk about the devil and Satan, we're so modern today. It feels like crazy talk. (laughs) It feels like crazy talk. But it's very real. You're going to see that in this text. Let's look at the meaning of this amazing event in the life of our Lord. In verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4, we read, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Before we get to the detail here, I want you to notice that the Spirit of God is leading Christ on a mission. The Holy Spirit is. The book of Matthew is clearly uh, the most Jewish of all of the Gospels. And what's unique about this particular gospel is that the life of Christ is being shown to us as he is walking a pre-appointed path that has been assigned to him, divinely ordained for him. Remember, at his birth, he was sent down to Egypt. You ever wondered why? Out of Egypt, I've called my son. And then he comes back to Israel and... um, He first goes here into the Jordan River before his ministry to be baptized. And immediately upon his baptism, the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. Well, does all of that sound familiar? You should know that story. It's the story that Matthew is tracing as the story of Israel. God gives birth to a son, Israel. They go into exile for 400 years in bondage. God brings them out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. They are baptized in the sea. And then they go into the wilderness for 40 years. To a time of testing that they would face. And Matthew is recapturing this whole story. This is the true son of Israel. This is the true son of Israel. But who is he? That's the question of the text. Who is he? Something glaringly stands out here that when the law was given for the purpose of Israel going into the wilderness, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it was said, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these this way, these 40 years in the wilderness, purpose clause here, to humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Well, how'd they do? Miserably. They were up against 
all kinds of foes, but not the foe that we typically think of. Oh, sure, there were the Amalekites and there were the Amorites, but a different prince of sorts was assaulting them now that we see the big picture. The account is uh, immediately tied up with what precedes it here. And notice how intimately and intricately woven together this is with his baptism that happens in the previous account. Jesus tells John, I must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. We should really think about that for a moment and let that set in. The crucial purpose of Christ coming to this earth was to fulfill all righteousness. It's a beautiful statement. I'm going to come back to that at the end. So, so the scene is set up. He has come out of Egypt. He's retraced the path of Israel as the true Israelite. He is now in the Jordan being baptized. And immediately the Spirit leads him, falls upon him, and leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Matthew wants us to see the parallel of Israel being led up out of Egypt into the wilderness to be tested by God. God tests, the devil tempts with evil. So here we are in verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. How many of you have tried fasting? I don't want hands. I tried it not so long ago. Um, you know, I read about fasting. I ordered the books. I read about the benefits of fasting. And uh, my wife, of course, rolled her eyes. You know, she said, don't do that. It had nothing to do with righteousness sake. It was purely selfish, selfishly motivated to, you know, solve digestive issues and maybe get that dream of being more fit and all those kind of things that we think of when we think of fasting today. I lasted three days. Most of you are constantly talking about food and talking about what you're going to eat. How many of you have fasted for righteousness sake? Think about it. Think of the question. Have you done it? Recently, a 39-year-old pastor tried to go 40 days like Jesus without food and water. True story. Just happened not so long ago, and he died. Israel did no better. They come up out of Egypt. They had witnessed all these signs and wonders, all these wonderful things. They've been baptized in the sea. All these things that the Lord had done for them. The Spirit leads them into the wilderness, and they get hungry. Remember what they said? For you have brought out us up out of Egypt into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. How do you just say that when you've seen this? Somebody's there instigating. Somebody's there instigating. You ever thought how radical a charge that is? Who says that to a God who's been this good to them? Given them everything. Behind it, Satan was making a charge. Through the circumstances charge is very simple. charge is very clear. Your God must hate you. Why would he put you through this? Why would he do that to you? You need to eat. And they said, 
Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Now what did God do for them? Couldn't handle it. So he fed them, dumped manna on their doorstep, rained it down from heaven, quail fell right on their doorstep. All these good gifts, they didn't pass the test. They didn't pass the test. (laughs) That they would learn to live, you know the test, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's the test. Well, here's the true son of Israel. Christ comes out into the wilderness. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, there is not one complaint. Who is this? Afterward, he's hungry. Period. He's hungry. Clearly, Matthew wants us to see, wants us to think about. He didn't complain at all. He didn't grumble before his father, which was the great perennial sin of Egypt in the wilderness. When he faced intense hunger. Verse 3, we're told, at that moment, it's all set up. Spirit has led him here. The tempter came to him. The word here uh, is used in a really bad sense, uh, meaning to entice to sin, to tempt. God may test, as I said, but he does not tempt by evil. That's what Satan does. Satan comes to tempt to sin. Notice it. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, three times. That's a remarkable beginning to this, isn't it? What had the Father just said at the baptism? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Clearly Satan was there. What does that tell you? Satan's not omnipresent. He roams about from one place to another, as Peter tells us, on the earth. Uh, He hits the key target places and the most important things that he can come to. He has demons stationed everywhere. We know that. Daniel tells us that. He has demons stationed over the nations. He has, America has demons stationed. Satan is the center of that realm. He's a good student of Scripture. You know, he studies the scriptures. I mean, a real good case for us to study him too. He's in them all the time. He knows them inside and out. He studies the word for one great purpose, so that he can assault you at your weakest moments. He's doing that. He's doing that now. He knew where Christ was to be born. He studied the scriptures. He knew all the activity happening in this place. Indication is he's there at the baptism hearing the voice of the Father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, really? If he could take down Christ, it's over. You understand that? It's over. He's the last Adam. He got the first Adam. So he begins. If you're the son... If you are the divine son, as it is claimed, you're hungry. 
command these, as the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you're the divine Son, what that means then, if that's true, is you have the authority and you have the power to command the stones to become bread. Now that's a temptation to ponder for a minute. Why in the world should you be hungry? Is this the way your father's treating you? If you're the divine son, you can surely change this. So, so see, notice the heart of the temptation there, beloved. What he's doing is actively working to make a divide between the father and the son. Between the father and the son, that the son would exercise his will apart from the will of the father. That's the heart of this. And that's why Jesus was always talking about the will of his father that he would fulfill. You understand why Jesus gave a whole petition. You know, you know not, not your will, but, but whose will? What do we pray in the Lord's prayer? Thy will be done on earth. He wants us constantly praying that for a reason. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gave a petition for that. Because Satan's whole effort, Simon, Simon, Satan asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. His whole effort is to make you, it's very important, autonomous and discontent with God's will for you. My guess is is, um, there's people here really struggling with that right now. The place you are in life. Your circumstances. You didn't plan it this way. You didn't plan it to go this way. And it's a real source of frustration when we have a sovereign God. That's where Satan's working. Right there. That's where he's working. Here it's different. If you are the divine son, of all people, you have the power to not go through hunger. Is this the way your father's treating you? Is he really good? You can take matters into your own hands. You have the power to change this. Why would you go through it? It's provoking him. This was the temptation in the garden. You can act independently from God. You can act independently from the will of of God. Has God put you... Eve, in an oppressive structure of being a woman? Be liberated from this design. You could be your own God. You don't have to be in this. You see, this is what reverberates throughout history. It's what we're dealing with today, if you have eyes to see. This is an oppressive design of marriage. This temptation has reverberated into all of our problems today. Has God put you in a man's body? God made you a female? Has God assigned you to be married to the opposite sex? Has God called you to be a male? Has God called you to marriage? Has God called you to heterosexuality? 
Has God called you to be single? Whatever your station is, he's working on the discontentment of it. That's where you're seeing every temptation that comes down to a challenge of the will of God for you. You're hungry. Listen, let me tell you what you're facing. You're hungry. You're not satisfied. You're starving. And he's putting you through that. Here's the shock to all this. We're not divine. (laughs) We can't change circumstances. That's the appalling thing of what's happening in the culture. Can a leopard change its spots? Can you change your circumstance? Are you sovereign? That's what the devil wants you to think. But he's divine. He has the power to change the circumstance. And Jesus responds. It's been written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeding from the mouth of God. I submit to that word. That word is my food. Jesus said that in John 4. I have a food to do. That's my Father's will. I have a food to do. And no way will I depart from the divine revealed will. Had Adam done that, we wouldn't be here right now. He just beat him on the first temptation. He just beat him. The second one resembles the first. Verse 5. Here we read, The devil took Jesus into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. And then he quotes Psalm 91. Told you, student of Scripture. The, the, the word of God in Psalm 91, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You understand that? You understand what the temptation is? Show your glory now. No, Philippians 2, you become a servant. That's ridiculous. Abandon mission. Make yourself great. Stand out. Stand out in the most revered spot of the kingdom. Go to the pinnacle of the temple and let everyone see who you are. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand on the pinnacle of the temple. All the masses are down there. They're going to look up and just thrust yourself down. And here's what will have to happen. The angels will have to come and save you if you're truly the Son of God. You're awesome. Show it. Show your glory. You see the temptation of what he's working out here? Show your glory by way of testing God for where he has you. Massa, this is what Jesus mentions in the second temptation. Massa was the place where Israel actually turned the test into a way to tempt God. And they tempted the Lord in the wilderness over a lack of water. They tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Hear it? What is this? Is he even among us? There's Satan working. The dissatisfaction here, what we're facing in the wilderness, in all the hardship that we're enduring, the denial to which we are often called, the denial of ourselves, which is hard business. Doesn't all that hardship indicate that the Lord is not with us? That's what Satan wants you to feel. 
doesn't all that you're facing right now indicate the Lord is not with you? So you just prove it. Let's test him. We can take matters into our own hands. Again, autonomy. We can make ourselves great. We can do something to showcase more glory to this great kingdom that he says you're a part of. How satisfied with you are you with the ways of God and the ordering of things in life in what is clearly a time of testing before you receive glory? Because in the ordering of our lives and the things that happen, we're constantly unhappy with God's ways and And I can testify, it's easy to become bitter. It's easy to become frustrated. And it's easy to seek to throw ourselves down from all this. Show your glory. What does everyone want in the world right now? I mean, it's not hard to figure out here. Identity. Greatness. Meaning to life. They're constantly challenging God's will to throw themselves down to be something, to something they think that will give them happiness. We are throwing ourselves down from his will to test him. That's what he wants you to do. And second, temptation, Jesus responds. You shall not, from Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa. Again, he just beat him. Third temptation. Matthew records the devil took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The word means to to prostrate oneself. It it, it means to bow down in worship. That's the uh, greatest attack of Satan in history, by the way. What is it? It's your worship. Why do you think we have all these wars on worship? (laughs) Why do you think that's always been the great struggle in the church, the war of worship? Look at all the glory of the kingdoms now in the earth. It's the arrogancy of this, this angel, fallen angel, is just something here. You know? He thinks he owns it all. Look at the glory of it all. Look at the glory of the United States and its glory. Look at Rome and all of its glory. I will give that all to you now if you just worship me. Here's the real problem of people apostatizing from the church. It's right here. Um, They apostatize because they leave and believe the lie of the evil one and all that he promises from the world to give them. What you're witnessing right now is a society turned upside down on this issue. Let's be really clear. It's not neutral anymore. The beastly kingdom of Revelation, all that we're we're facing. Another religion is being imposed on us. It's another religion. 
There's a moral revolution that has as its root the demand that you bow down and worship their ideals. It's evidence that people have listened to the lie of Satan and are worshiping him through these ideals. I mean, it's truly a Nebuchadnezzarin moment we're in. Bow down to the golden image of human sexuality that we have set up. Idols backed by demons. Paul says that can happen. First Corinthians, talking about the supper, he talked about, remember, the warning about demons. Why are you suffering this way of a cross? Why would you follow the Lord when his way is hard? That's the lie. And any, any good believer in Christ who knows the gospel and has been set free says, he's really good. Look what he set up for us in the wilderness. Come back to that point. You don't have to bear a cross. You don't have to go through this. Put it all together. All three together. You're hungry. You have nothing to show for any of this. You have no kingdom here. You deal with nothing but hardship. What kind of bargain is that? And now you have to follow the way of a cross. Sell your soul to me. Don't think that goes on? I do. In the world. I think people bow down to Satan all the time. They're even doing it now in the open. Do you see why you need a Savior? That's the question. Christ responds to this lie and this inducement of false worship by saying, away with you, Satan. For it has been written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's taken from Deuteronomy 10 verse 20, a reminder of Israel to worship God alone. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. Now listen, listen to what's said in this, in the middle of this. And to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great signs and these awesome things. Don't listen to the lie of this. Your God has been incredibly good to you. He's given you everything in his son. And he's given you eternal life. Wait and see what's coming. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those who love him. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. Here's the truth of the matter. 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of the heaven in multitude. He fulfilled his promise. Don't listen to him. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Upon Christ's rebuke, the devil leaves him. We know he would come back at an opportune time, probably the Garden of Gethsemane. But right then and there, beloved, he defeated the devil for you in the wilderness. He bound the strong man. In principle, he put his foot already where Adam should have in the garden. He put his foot on the head of Satan and began to crush it, which ultimately will culminate, as Romans 14 says, when he comes again, he will crush the head of Satan before you shortly, in finality. Why does this matter for us? Well, it matters in every way. You're beset with all kinds of temptations. And you feel the struggle of failure in your temptations. 
and you're sick that you keep running and doing the same stupid sins. And you feel incredible guilt. And we're no better than Israel. (laughs) What good news I have for you today. He is the son of God. (laughs) That's the whole message here. That's the heart of this passage. He is the son of God and we overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The cross that he would endure and he would go to for you. And he gives you something better than the baseless attacks of Satan and the empty promises of Satan and the lies of Satan. He spreads a table for you in the wilderness today. From which you get to enjoy, think about what's happening right now, fellowship with God, koinonia with God. Your answer in life and and your struggle against sin and all of your failures is to see your Savior stepped into your place. This is why we call it, you know, a substitutionary atonement and a substitutionary act of obedience. That he stood in your place and has fulfilled all righteousness. That's why it had to be done. Stepping into your place to set you free so that you would have a right standing before God. And that this enemy is defeated. And now that you would receive power from on high to resist the devil who will indeed flee from you because he's defeated. So, beloved, resist him. Resist him in your lives. What freedom is achieved for us by Christ himself in the wilderness. So let us turn from our sins and look to him who sets us free In the righteousness, as our Heidelberg Catechism says, that he won for us. That he won for us. And that's the joy he wants you to have today as you come to the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your glorious word to us. And thank you for the ministry of the gospel. And thank you for a beautiful Savior. Fulfilled all righteousness. Help us not to listen to the lies of the evil one. For we have indeed given in many times. And ask for your forgiveness for all sin. And thank you for giving us a Savior who defeated that arch enemy in the wilderness. And has promised us a kingdom of so much glory. Let us live by faith, O Lord. Let us trust your promises. And give us joy in what you've accomplished for us. Through your beloved Son, in whom you are well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.